Hello everyone. Welcome to episode number 30. And uh, this is our aircraft episode. Uh, we're not going to talk about any airlines, although you can't talk about aircraft without talking about airlines. But welcome. Uh, this is Kerwin and my buddy. For sure. And we are here for episode 30, which is actually being recorded on, what are we, September 5th? Uh, because episode 29 was too long, so we decided <laughs> to do episode 30. <laughs> But we're going to jump right into it. So I saw a really cool story. Um, there were some guys flying a model airplane, and I sent it to Kusha, and he did some research on it. So what's going on, Kusha? This is really cool. Given all the interesting stuff we covered, at least for me, in, in episode 29, uh -huh. I thought this was the most fascinating story. I didn't really pay a lot of attention to it. Uh, but then once you sent it to me, um, I looked it up further and it was really, I thought, very fascinating. So here's what happened. Mm -hmm. um, KLM had their 100th anniversary last year in 2019. And I didn't know this, but they had been working with Delft University of Technology in the, in the Netherlands mm -hmm. um, for this aircraft, this futuristic aircraft known as the Flying V. So what it is, um, is this is um, an aircraft shaped like a V, but the ends of the V are then split apart to form wings that end in huge winglets, like you would see on um, 767, for instance. Right. This is called a flying V. So the aircraft is really, really shaped like a V. What they did last week, uh, actually this week rather, was they tested a 4.7 scale of this plane at a German airbase. This is the University of Delft, the technology uh, department. Um, sorry, the Delft University of Technology. So the wingspan of this uh, test aircraft was 10 feet. Um, and as they said, a 4.7 scale, um, I did the math and the full scale would actually be 212 feet, which is the wingspan of the 350, which is Airbus's most fuel efficient aircraft. Yeah. One thing I do want to mention is that Airbus is a huge investor in this partnership as well. So this is more than, if this concept works, this is more than likely going to be a future Airbus aircraft. So, um, as I said, it's a flying V and at the base of the V is the cockpit and um, a certain class of the plane. Now remember, this is an aircraft that will ultimately seat between 300 and 320 passengers. So this is a wide body, long haul plane. Yeah. So there's a central section, um, and then there are two Airbus 320 diameter shells, if you will, that split out from the center sections to form the V. And they would contain both passenger seats as well as cargo, as well as fuel. Now, they would have windows along the sides and to make the seats a little comfortable, they would all be staggered. In fact, there is a full-scale mock-up 
at um, Amsterdam Schiphol. And I would actually love to see this. Yeah. It's been put on display recently. And they have this on display. Um, it's again a twin aisle, but um, again, it's in two separate sections of the aircraft that meet at the front. Supposed to be 20% more fuel efficient than an Airbus 350, which is currently Airbus's most fuel efficient aircraft. Right. And the engines are actually above the, the V of the plane. So it looks a little ungainly, but it's supposed to be extremely fuel efficient and aerodynamic and cool. lightweight. Yeah. So what they did is that they uh, remote controlled flew this plane for, um, and it wasn't very long, it was about five minutes, which may not seem significant, but this was just a test of the aerodynamic, right. uh, the aerodynamics dynamics of the plane. I'm presuming they did, they tested this in a wind tunnel and all that before, but for whatever reason, they did this in Germany at an airbase. And interestingly, what they found is that the aircraft was not very stable um, in its pitch angle. And they narrowed it down to the center of gravity of the plane as is to right. be too low and too far to the back. Makes sense. And they also found the wheels to be too far back because when they landed the plane, it landed on its nose wheel and it collapsed. So they've discovered that the two big changes they need to make is move the wheels forward mm -hmm. and raise the center of gravity for this plane. Now, as I said, this is going to have the wingspan of an Airbus 350, which is yeah. um, about 212 feet. So I did a little, little homework and just to compare, um, a 777X in the extended, remember this is the, air, the new aircraft from Boeing, with the wingtips. Uh, with the wingtips that fold. And when fully extended, the wingtip, the, the wingspan of the 777X would be 233 feet, which is about 71 meters. This is going to be a huge plane. It's a wide body. Right. right. And as I said, for long haul, it's very, very unconventional looking. And it's reminded me of the Boeing project that preceded the 787. I forget the name of it, but it had that sort of a very flat shape. Yeah, well, the, the cool thing about these things is that when you see them testing, uh, eventually the final product may not look like what they have now, because um, you know, it's evolving, right? Right. Um, yeah, so because when, when Airbus tested the, it was the XWB is what they were calling it, um, if you go back and look at it, it's a little different from the A350. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what we now have as, a, have as the A350. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with this and when they do the next test flights. Test flight. So look yes. forward to that. I just hope the press keeps up with this. because I think this is, yeah. this is really fascinating. I mean, I, I agree with you. And I definitely think that they were. When I saw it, I was like, oh, this is cool. I used to fly model airplanes. So when I saw this, I was like, oh, this is really, really cool. Um, all right, I'm cool. surprised actually KLM has the money to invest in this. I would not have expected KLM to be a backup, considering all the financial pressures on them right now. 
Well, you know, a lot of these companies, right, they have money in R&D and the money that they have in R&D is very yeah. different from what they use for other things. So, but as I said, this is yeah. more than likely a future Airbus project. That's good. And KLM is quite the technology company. That was coming up really, I mean, they did the first social media thing where you could actually like date somebody on your flight. Uh, okay. Yes. You, yeah. So yeah, you could, um, even now you could do it when you, when you book a ticket, you can huh. um, see who is on your flight next to you and you could actually contact them via social media or something like that. Okay. So uh, they still have all that stuff in there. So they've done a lot of innovative things when it comes to technology and flying. So good for them. But the engines are not, I believe they're not going to be electric in the final version. Yeah. Uh, but I think they call them ducted fans. Yeah, they do which call them do call very ducted fans. Uh, similar to the Leap, I think. Yeah, yeah. Engines that are on the, the Neos and the um, 737 Max variants. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in, in the. We should not be calling it the Max, but it's hard to do. It's a seven. Name them otherwise. Eight, nine, ten, or seven, Kusha. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's too long. This is exactly what's going to happen in news media. So finally get their head out of their butts because they're all in COVID hell now. So as soon as they get their head out of their butts about COVID, they're like, oh, bone change, the name of the plane. And it'll be like a big story for like a day and then it'll be gone again. Yeah, it's too funny. Oh. Um, all right. So speaking of more aircrafts uh, or aircraft, um, Antonov, which is the guys that make the really, really, really big cargo plane, which it's actually flies into Houston here. You ever seen the one that flies into Houston? Yeah. It actually comes here quite often. It does. And one day I was waiting for it and I waited and I waited and I waited because um, I was looking at Flight Radar 24 and it showed it was waiting on the runway. But it has to wait for like everybody to land and everybody to, and everybody to take off because it takes such long, takes up all the runway. And so um, I gave up on it and then I looked around and it just came right over my head to make a nice left turn. It would have been the perfect photo. So I'm gonna to have to wait for it again. But anyway, um, but what's um, so Antonov is based in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. It was, of course, Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. So it was very much a Russian um, aviation company, much like Boeing and Airbus equivalent, the Russian equivalent, at least one, uh, Russian company, other than Illusion, for instance, or yeah. or uh, Mikoyan Gorevich. But anyway, I, dig I digress. So they have been building planes, um, mainly transport a few passengers, uh, but all of their planes have involved a significant Russian component because they were part of the Soviet Union. Right, yeah. So now that uh, Ukraine and Russia are not on good terms, um, Ukraine, Russian airlines and Russian manufacturing and operating carriers have been banned from uh, using Antonov aircraft, even though they still exist in the Russian Air Force. Um, but anyway, Antonov decided it needed to cut its reliance on Russia. And this plane, the Antonov 178, which uh, looks very, very similar to a Dornier uh, 328 jet. Uh, I'm not sure if a lot of people are familiar with that, but it looks like a two-engine BAE 146. Right, right. Or if you know the Embraer KC 390, 
transport. So it's got two engines um, over the wing. Um, sorry, it's over the fuselage wing. Again, if you look at a, uh, one of the aircraft I mentioned, you know exactly what I mean. And it actually started out as the 148 mm. uh, with a lot of Russian components. It then migrated to the 158, which was improved, still with Russian components. And now they brought out the 178, which I believe is a transport aircraft only, a military aircraft. Um, they have some pictures on this Ukrainian website, and it's about the width of a Hummer, which is a US military oh, okay. Jeep, if you will. Yeah. So it's like a, a very wide SUV. So it's got, it can take that width of uh, cargo. I believe two thirds of the plane are American sourced in terms of the components and the rest is domestic Ukraine. But the one question is now what? Will anyone buy it? Other than Ukraine domestic and a few other carriers, it seems unlikely because typically Russian worldwide support and actually Soviet worldwide support for their aircraft manufacturers are not very good. So there are some doubts as to the commercial viability of this aircraft, but I did read that Silkway, which is a commercial cargo airline that operates 747s, uh, based in Azerbaijan, has ordered some. So okay. uh, the engine of this plane, which I assumed would be um, American, or European is not. It's a progress engine, which is a typical Antonov engine. Yeah. So again, reliability is an issue and whether they can market it effectively to um, operators outside of uh, Eastern Europe. We'll yeah, have to wait and see on that. Yeah, most um, definitely. Yeah, but I thought it was interesting that they thought they needed to, pro to proceed with this aircraft. They're probably they're probably seeing if they can actually compete. Um, yeah. So if this one works and they can They've use the got same a lot of work to do. Though, yeah, the same concept of their reliability. Yeah. Cool. Because the the Sukhoi the Superjet, um, it was with a Belgian airline and also with Interjet in Mexico, and both experiences have not been very good, I believe. But is it the same company that makes the Sukhoi? No, again? it's not. Oh, but okay. it was same concept. Yeah. Okay. Same concept. Yeah. Because the Sukhoi aircraft is Russian. Hmm. So, right. but again, maintenance issues and uh, support has been lacking. Well, hopefully these guys have figured it out. I mean, Antonov is is quite a good company. They just don't really make stuff for the commercial airline side of things anymore. Yeah. Um, they've got they've had regional jets before, but hardly anyone outside. Yeah. Uh, of Russia. It's hard to, yeah. Yeah. He also right, cool. has bought it. Um, well, right. except for North Korea, but I'm not sure North Korea counts. Yeah. <laughs> oh my so, God. All right. So you mentioned the 747s when you were just talking about. Yes. So we know, mentioned this. Uh, you brought uh, it up in. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, and as, as you guys know, a lot of the 747s have been parked or will be parked, um, except for the 747 8. Uh, but there's probably some more 400s. But 
Krishna's yes. going to tell you, if you want to go fly a 747, where do you have to go? So I got this in my airline route email. And I thought it was interesting because I've never seen this before. Yeah, that guy but does really good work. As you mentioned, 747s are being withdrawn from commercial airline service pretty rapidly. Uh, but there are still some carriers that fly them mm-hmm. and will continue to fly them. The, the list keeps dwindling, but there are still carriers that operate 747. Yeah. Well, I know Lufthansa is one of them, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, one of them is China Airlines. And uh, uh, they, so this is 747 operations for September 2020, as of now. Mm-hmm. They are going to operate them from uh, Beijing, the new Daxing Airport, uh, which is the code PKX. Mm-hmm. This is different from Beijing Capital, which is right. PK. Okay. Uh, they're going to operate this to Guangzhou, which has the CAN code near Hong Kong, mm-hmm. to Chengdu, to Madrid, of all places, uh, to Shanghai, which is Hongqiao, which is the domestic uh, Shanghai Airport, um, as well as to Shenzhen. Uh, again, near Hong Kong. This is a combination of 747 400s and 800s. Oh, cool. Eight eyes. Yeah. yeah. Now, Asiana, which doesn't have any eight eyes, uh, this is South Korea based. They're going to fly them, their 744s, from Incheon to Nanjing, which is um, essentially west of Shanghai and west of Seoul. Not a very long distance, but surprising that they would fly it for such a short distance, but there must be the demand. And then they're also going to fly them to Changchun, which is uh, almost directly north of um, Seoul, Incheon. These are all 744s, not long haul by any means, but interesting that these routes are such high demand. Uh, that's oh, interesting. Flex. Oh, you know what? Yes. They're, just trying, they're just trying to create a little marketing thing because um, people want to fly uh, those uh, 747s. Uh, Still so that, but that's they obviously have is. a reason. And then just to validate that, Lufthansa, which is the largest operator of 747s commercially, mm-hmm. um, they've grounded slash stored their 744s and they are only operating their 747-8Is, right. the right. intercontinental passenger version. They're going to Bangkok, to Chicago O'Hare, Johannesburg, Los Angeles, Mexico City, as you mentioned in episode 29. Mm-hmm. Again, Nanjing in China, uh, west of Shanghai, Sao Paulo, and um, Shanghai, Udong, which is the international airport. Um, and then um, there's also Rosia, which has 744s, and they're operating from Moscow, Shemyatyevo, to Khabarovsk, which is uh, just west of Sakhalin Island in eastern Russia, and to hook to Phuket in Thailand, which is, of course, oh, okay. the leisure beach destination. Yeah, but you know what's Those are the four though. carriers. Yeah, like um, someone showed me a flight. They did take a flight from Bangkok to Phuket, and people just aren't flying. The airport is like a ghost town. Right. So right. Um, people, it, it, it actually Thailand is closed to foreign tourists. Are they still? Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's. I'm not sure about the Russia flights, but at least they've got them scheduled. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see what happens um, with all this. So, you know, when you find these flights, make sure you check the travel restrictions, make sure you can actually fly them and check uh, what are the, um, you know, what are the requirements for going into these countries? Yeah. Um, you probably need a COVID test, a negative COVID test, or you probably have to do one when you arrive. So make sure you check, you check all that. That's cool stuff. Um, and it, it's not coming to Houston. So, you know, <laughs> uh, all right. One more thing on this, and then we'll close up this episode about aircrafts. Um, aircraft, I keep adding an S there, and I shouldn't. Uh, so the A350, um, I had read a story a little while back about uh, the, <laughs> the pilots were spilling coffee, and the, the, the resolution was, well, just don't drink coffee in the cockpit. <laughs> so <laughs> Again, I found this just uh, <laughs> yesterday or this morning. Yeah. That, uh, uh, so as you said, official, what's the official resolution? <laughs> um, it was basic, but made, I'm sure nothing is basic when you're dealing with cockpit uh, configurations. Uh-huh. So that this all stemmed from uh, mid-flight engine shutdowns on Airbus 350s. The first one happened on a flight from. Um, Seoul to um, Singapore when a pilot apparently spilled some tea uh, in the cockpit and uh, a few minutes later they had an engine issue where it shut down. This was in December, November I believe, in 2019 and then in January a similar thing happened from Detroit to Seoul where um again coffee was spilled and they had a mid-flight shutdown of the engine engine or engines that was unclear so they had a diversion yeah so then the uh european aviation safety administration which is easa they man which where Airbus is based in europe they mandated that um first of all there was no liquid zone in the cockpit but since that apparently wasn't very practical, exactly, they issued a directive that um, they Airbus constructed this cover essentially that had to be placed over this. Um, they call it the integrated control panel within 28 days for all the Airbus 350 operation. So I wasn't quite sure where this was. But it turns out that this is the um, area of the cockpit in front of the aircraft, just below the heads-up display on the um, aircraft windshield. So it's the screens that the pilot faces at the very front of the cockpit. Oh, okay. So that was a temporary fix. So then recently, what Airbus did is that they re-engineered essentially another cover a more permanent fluid proof um, installation that was required to prevent these issues from occurring again. But I just thought this was a unique little problem that flew under the radar for the most part, but it was actually pretty important. <laughs> so does this so, mean that they, they can't do electrostatic cleaning on, uh, on one of these? 
know. Electrostatic is very different, though, right? Uh, it is very different. It is yeah. very different. Uh, oh, that's pretty funny. Well, I'm so glad that they figured that out. Um, yes. speaking, speaking of which, um, I saw uh, one of the things that I really want to do with these uh, airlines is, uh, and I probably try to send a proposal, maybe to Delta, is I would love to come along one of your flights and follow your follow the plane around for one day or something like that to see um, what happens when the passengers get off and what happens when they get on. Basically showing the cleaning process throughout the entire thing. I used to work in the ramp and I know we have rigorous cleaning mm. process, but it would be good to go check out exactly what the process is so people can see what's happening. And um, uh, Flyblade, they fly um, a water taxi uh, an amphibious aircraft, which is an aircraft that can land on water and on land. What was the name of the airline again? Flyblade. So they're okay. based in New York. They normally have a helicopter, so you can take a helicopter from New York City to uh, JFK. Uh, okay. Yeah, and I think they might go to Newark, I'm not sure. Uh, but they have a flight now where you can go from um, Manhattan to uh, the Hamptons. And so you take off up on the Hudson, is that, or is that the other one? Yeah, I think it's at the Hudson. You take off on the, the one between New Jersey and New York. You take okay. off on, the, on that river, and then you land on land in um, out on Long Island. And the guy who was showing it, he's from the Point Sky. Um, they showed him the lady who was cleaning the plane with the little machine that they use with the disinfectant and stuff. So I thought that was. So it's still a helicopter or a seaplane? No, it's a seaplane. Okay. Yeah, and an amphibious seaplane. It's very cool. I'm gonna. Uh, uh, he did an Instagram story or Instagram. I try to put the link in the story, and I'll also send you the link, Krisha. You can take okay. it. I thought it was actually very cool to see it, um, because it's you know, I think it's kind of good that we show customers what the airlines are doing, um, mm. in, in order to keep the aircraft clean. The the picture the guy showed both pilots were on. It's a, it's a small cockpit. It's a it's like a so I forget how many people he said seats in it, maybe 15 or something like that. And it wasn't full. Uh, and so it was kind of good to see that. But I think it's good that pe if people can see what the airlines are doing um, and see that they're actually doing something, they're actually cleaning the planes in between flights and stuff like that. I think I'm curious whether the people who can afford to have houses in the Hamptons will want to be seen by the port. You mean... Oh, what do you mean by the port? Where, where you pick up this seaplane. Oh, oh, well, on yeah. The west I mean, side. Oh, but it's, it's very chic because you don't have to drive. Is it? Oh, yeah. Because okay. you, can, you can just jump on this plane in the Hamptons and then you're in. They already do it by helicopter. Okay, okay. This was just the airplane version of that same flight. And it's actually very popular. I think it's like, okay. I don't know how much it is for that particular journey. But um, it is like 195 for um, the journey from Manhattan to the airport, which I wanted to take so I could do a review of it. But the time when I went, um, one, I didn't really have enough money to do it. And two, it rained. It rained every day when I came back because um, I'd flown into JFK late that night anyway, so I couldn't have taken it. But when I was going, I wanted to, and it was raining, so I couldn't do it. Even if it was half that, it's too rich for my blood. It is expensive, 
but I thought it would be great to do a review um, off yeah. and, you know, through advertising or something. Because that's how PassWriter.com makes money from advertising. So I do a okay. story. And then when you do a story like that, then you put it on the website and you promote it and people come and look at it. They look at the ads and you get money from that. And again, this is called Flyblade? Yeah, Flyblade. Is it, okay. Yeah, Flyblade is the name of the airline. Never heard and, of it. No, yeah. And so if, well, if Flyblade okay. wants to sponsor an episode, I'm open to that for you guys to do that. Yeah, yes. they have two ports in Manhattan. Um, yeah. And I think, it's, I think it's on both sides of the, both sides of the, the east side and the west side. Okay. And, um, you can take the, the the day I went. It was raining. Um, uh, the helicopter. I think uh, I was trying to get a picture of the helicopter when it was leaving, but I couldn't because uh, I was trying to cross the road and I couldn't get across the road. The next thing I knew, the helicopter left, and that, that was the last one because it was very very windy that day. Uh, and then I'm sure there are a lot of new locations, but the only heliport I remember in New York used to be on top of the Pan Am building, which is now the MetLife building. The Met is Life that, building, yeah. Is oh, it dude, still MetLife? Yeah, it's still There Met must Life. be other locations yeah. as well. Well, you're going to New York soon, right? So if you do, um, I don't know if you're probably not going to go to Manhattan though, but no. if you get a chance and you come back through Manhattan, um, take a look at it. There's two of them. I think one is on the east okay. side, one's on the west side. Uh, and you can go, and the helicopters, they just come in and then pick passengers up and then they go again. Hmm. And you can easy, it's very easy for them, for you to watch the planes as they come through. So that'll be, that'll be cool to do. Maybe once I win the lottery. All right, there you go. So uh, one lottery ticket coming up for Kusha. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna need uh, a lot more than one. I know, right? So is that all you had? Yes. All right, cool. So once again, we have another episode of really cool stuff that's going on in the aviation industry. So you are still branding this as episode 30 and not episode 29.5? Uh, yeah, this is the episode 30. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll just a have a very two, short version. A very short version, episode 30. So that'll be good. Uh, we're really trying to keep them short, but there's so much going on. And so because there's so much going on, we really want to cover the material properly. And also the fact that I talk a lot. Uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> but that's the whole idea behind what the show, say? right? But right? we wanted to pull the stuff from the headline and kind of explain them to you. So it's not just the stuff that you see in the in the media. Uh, and, and again, my my background is doing some weird disappearing act, um, like you know, hands, no hands. <laughs> um, but once again, this is Kerwin and my buddy, for sure. And this is episode thirty of What's Happening in Travel. And uh, thank you guys for watching and see you all soon.